SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Hello and welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry, with me is my co-host, George. Thankfully, I don't have to host this one, so I can just chill back and think about semen. But hey, who doesn't? <laughs> uh, so if you're new to Sega Talk, I hope that didn't turn you off. Sorry. Um, we are a, uh, we're just a couple of Sega fans who like talking about Sega games. Every two weeks we do, wakes? Every two weeks we do these episodes and we just we talk about one game, go through the history, the development, our memories of it. Uh, we learn a little bit along the way, and we hopefully hope that you do too. So you can check us out on Patreon. We make no money on YouTube. YouTube hates us, uh-huh. but uh, apparently Patreon likes us a little bit. So you can check us out there. You get the show a week early or like five days early, something like that. Um, you get to leave memories at the end. So enough talk. Let's dive in. Literally. Did you get that? Yeah, I got it. Uh, <laughs> so on this episode, we are talking about Seaman. And this has been a long requested episode. And I'll be honest, I was afraid to do it, George. Why? Because and we were going to talk, you know, make the obvious joke about the name, right? That's why. No. No? Okay. You'd think so. But no, It's these are the types of episodes I always fear because the the... The story behind them just seems so complex, and I get scared diving into, like, the making of, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's actually kind of crazy, the history, like, after the game came out still. Like, there were so many, like, like they were going to pick it back up and stuff, and, like, it never really mm-hmm. happened. And uh, it's yeah. that's even more interesting, because I don't think a lot of people know that aspect of Seaman, uh, the franchise. Exactly. And not only that, but it's almost like they kind of chose a path and, you know, you're not hearing about a sequel because they're doing something else. And we'll get into that. Um, but this this early stuff. So let's get into that. The beginning. So developed and published by Vivarium for the Sega Dreamcast in Japan in 1999 and published by Sega of America in 2000. Seaman was an incredibly unique and bizarre take on the virtual pet. Utilizing what was at the time revolutionary voice recognition, players, or were they caregivers, used a microphone accessory to speak to Seaman. Because speech was vital to the game's function, expert localization for English speakers was not only required, but was a make-or-break element of the game's development. At the time, Seaman was the best-selling Dreamcast game in Japan, 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 beating out Shenmue, Sonic Adventure, and... I think that's it. Uh, by 2004, it was the third highest-selling Dreamcast game in the region. So, to begin, what are your memories of Seaman? And did you buy the game on release? No, I didn't buy it on release. It was one of... Okay, so the game did have really good advertisement at the time for a game that's so niche mm-hmm. in America. Um, and this yeah. is actually what I why I think a lot of people find the Dreamcast to be kind of like unique or uh, innovative or... I don't know, just all out there. Um, not a lot of companies would spend a lot of money on advertisement a game a game where you're talking to a manfish on mm-hmm. a, like uh, with a mic, right? So, right. Um, I did not play this uh, at first. I didn't buy it because I didn't know what it was. I was kind of confused and I didn't really understand it at all. And then I went yeah. to one of my cousins had a friend who had a Dreamcast, and that was the first time I played online too. 
he had that game. And he was like talking about how funny it was and how he thought it was, I guess, interesting. He was more into the whole pet simulator thing. So I bought it because hmm. of the mic mostly, right? And oh, Okay. And uh, I, so I was never into pet simulators, but this, I kind of had some fun with it. But like I, I still wasn't into it. Like I'm actually kind of confused on the hype on this. So like I understand <laughs> it's super strange. So this is one of the times where I'm like, it's it's crazy how much this game's blowing up after now than ever before. I think the angry video game nerd did a video on it, and that blew up too. Yeah. Um. So I think yeah. that has something to do with it right now. That why people are requesting this episode because of the angry video game nerd episode. I would assume. Um, Could be. I, I mean, I thought it was a decent simulator, but like, even in the past, we had this right. Like in the '90s, this was kind of a trend, right? The animal raising thing like tamagotchi or furbies um so to me it was just like the video game equivalent to that i will say though out of all the games where you have to talk to the character this is probably one of the Mm -hmm. better ones i played there was like hey you pikachu i didn't really like that one um but what's your opinion and like how does it compare i guess to other games that kind of try to do the similar thing well so my earliest memories of this were probably in the Dreamcast magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always did a great job covering stuff as it was announced in Japan. So really, you'd, you'd see it there before the internet. You'd see it there before. I mean, if you did see it on the internet, you wouldn't really get much of a context to it. So they would really, they'd translate stuff, give you developer interviews, things like that. And at the time, what I really loved about the Dreamcast were all the super unique games coming out for it. So I was all in when it came to Shenmue, Jet Set Radio, um, Fantasy Star Online, and Seaman, and Samba de Amigo. I'd say those are like the five games that I was not only all in on and needed to get day one when I was reading about them, but I just, I like got super into how they utilize a certain aspect of the console. So in some cases, it's weird, unique accessories. Other ones, it's online, uh, graphical, you know, with Jet Set Radio. So this one really just filled that um, that whole microphone. The microphone accessory really is what sold me on it. Like, I just... I, I wasn't a completionist so much as I just wanted to experience all the console had to offer. And when I heard there was a microphone coming out... I thought, well, I'll get this game, it'll come with the mic, and then I'll use the mic for other things. So it's kind of a win-win. And, uh, I mean, we can, we'll can we talk about the microphone in a little bit. It's actually a, a sizable chunk of this episode. Oh, good. Because there's good. so much to say about it. I mean, I, um, I really love the aesthetic, the way it looked, and how it connected yeah. to the Dreamcast. I thought it was really unique. Like, yeah. there's nothing that looks like the Dreamcast, he- I mean, microphone, like... It doesn't even. I don't even know if it makes sense at at the time. Like I guess back then they used to have those office mics. I guess that's where they got the influence on the design. Yeah, but, it's but, it's interesting. But now it's like all black, right? Like gaming computer, like everything gaming. So it's like a weird white with green. Uh, ball. Right. Yeah, and it's not a it's not a headset. Yeah. It um just is it's attached to your controller there. There is an interesting parallel between Seaman's head and the microphone. I don't think it was intentional, but I always drew that comparison where the mic kind of looked like that little thing that comes out of the top of his head. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's also, <laughs> um, it's, it's even more interesting though the mic, like we kind of make fun of it. It's not a headset, but like it's still a better solution than the Switch online voice, which is weird. Mm, but yeah. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, and so, um, but yeah, the, the Dreamcast magazine, that's what sold me on it. Uh, the advertising, I'm trying to think. So there were commercials. There were some strange commercials. Mm-hmm. There were commercials where uh, it was like all the characters together and Seaman was there. Um, he kind of joined that that cast of characters inside your console. Um, there were print ads of a man having sex with a fish. Yeah, uh, bizarre. That's no exaggeration. <laughs> um and there was a postcard, and I have it somewhere. I have no idea where it is, but it was a Seaman postcard of a woman who had just taken a shower. It was like a 1950s lady with the hair wrap and everything, and she was holding her controller saying, Hi, Seaman, and she was, like, talking to him. Um, That's pretty cool. I wish I could find that, but it was cool. So, But, yeah, so the, the American advertising for it was kind of all over the place because, like you saw, like, it's a 1950s thing. On one thing, a uh, grungy ad with someone having sex with a fish on another, and then a commercial that kind of sells you on the the mystery of Seaman. And then these goofy commercials where he's like a character inside your your console. Um, But the game itself, so I'm going to briefly describe the gameplay. It's something we, I think, fail to do sometimes on these. Yeah. Um, uh, We assume people have played the game or watched a a playthrough or something before they, they listen, but... Yeah, in the case of this, um, I'll just go through it real quick. You, you, uh, from memory, the narrator talks to you. You get a uh, view of a fish tank. You get the view of a little terrarium later on. I don't think that happens right away. And then you have a uh, little screen where it shows you your inventory. So there's little uh, eggs in there. You drop the eggs in the tank. The eggs hatch. They become these little things called, I think they're called mushroomers. And they grow into, eventually, Seaman. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but there are other creatures in the tank that you interact with. Uh, eventually, they whittle it down to one Seaman. He evolves to the point of going into another part of the game. Again, I don't really, really spoil it, but you basically raise him to... Uh, doesn't he walk? at the end or I, I haven't gotten to the, I've never gotten to the end of this game by the way like but he's like a frog yeah he's like a little frog and he crawls out of, of the it. tank yeah yeah, yeah 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 and so um that's kind of a vague way to put it but there's a lot of discovery that goes on uh each experience is different so I can't really say what I experienced is the same as what you know you George or one of the listeners listeners have or will um so <laughs> that's a terrible description of the game, but I think it's it's apt because it's a very loose game um, with a lot of discovery along the way. And so I, you can't talk about Seaman, though, without talking about its creator. So Yut Saito. Saito got his start in the industry with the game The Tower in 1994, a skyscraper building simulator published for the Macintosh in Japan. The American company Maxis loved it so much that they localized it for America, and it became known as, drumroll, Sim Tower. Oh, I, I've never that, played it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I didn't know that he made a game of... I mean, like, I guess he was... Basi- they basically took his game and made it into a Sims game. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Sim franchise, it's legendary. We've actually had someone who worked on The Sims 2 on uh, Swing and Report Show, Kiyoshi Okuma. And um, so what are your thoughts on Saito getting his start as a developer on a Sim game 
And do you see Seaman as a natural progression from a skyscraper building simulator? So I don't know if you remember. I don't know if it was during that time. I think it was during that time. Uh, Lionhead Studio was making that game black and white where you like play God. Um, yeah. And I just felt kind of like Seaman was always kind of like a PC game idea if you think about it. I mean, it had a microphone, something that consoles games really never used. Like, I could see microphone being an interactive thing on a PC more than I would a Dreamcast. And, well, and I think that's kind of the point of the Dreamcast at the time. They really wanted to show PC gamers and console gamers that they were merging these two worlds into one. So, I, I, I guess it really does make sense that, you know, the, where he got his start from. I mean, I guess you could say that it's a bizarre sim game, right? The fish, yeah, the Seaman. So... It totally makes mm-hmm. sense. I didn't know that it, he made that uh, Sims game. I know there's a ton of Sims games that came out in the 90s. I remember there was like Ants. Like uh, mm-hmm. any topic you could bring up of, of it, there was probably a Sims version of it in the 90s. Yeah, I loved Sim Ant. Um, oh. But yes. it. You played throughout it. Throughout the 90s, though, it was like it was either Virtua or Sim, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was what they did. But it makes sense, you know, they, in looking at a lot of the Sim games, some of them feel like they were made externally and then they slap the name onto it. And it's a great thing to do because as long as it's a simulator, it's Sim. It's the so brand that really Sim-Man. sells it. Yeah, Sim Tower, just like with Virtua, Virtua Cop, Virtua Striker, like all these different developers worked on Virtua games, but the name brings it all together. So if you've played Sim Ant, you might go, oh, Sim Tower sounds fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in this case, it just, it, it surprises me that this guy gets his start really by making a sim game, like at capital S, you know, like that's pretty big. Yeah. Uh, and because of this, Saito actually caught Sega's attention and they very quickly tasked him with developing a game for their Dreamcast console. Sega pitched their own ideas to Saito, including an evolved Dungeons and Dragons game an adventure game using licensed film characters, or a game featuring a rare, never-before-seen creature. And Saito went with the third option because, as he put it, it required invention and courage. So could you imagine how these other two concepts might have gone with him? And uh, what Sega games released either before 99 or since do you think fit into these suggested concepts? Because I, I personally think Sega actually did pursue these i mean the without saito this dungeon and dragons one i i mean i'm trying to think of a dreamcast game that was like uh D, but i guess fantasy star technically but yeah. they just changed it to like obviously they're all just making fantasy star instead of uh dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. um as the other mm-hmm. one the, the like come on can you imagine a role-playing game where you play as like leonardo dicaprio brad pitt and like um like, just them as actors. That, I don't know. That'd be pretty weird. <laughs> that bizarre. would be weird. Yeah, I'm not really... I, I think... Um, so, yeah, I do... My personal theory is that PSO was something that they had in mind. They wanted to have a, uh interesting role-playing game. Oh, yeah. So they, they could have very well, before Sonic Team got rolling on, on PSO, said, hey, maybe this guy could try something. As far as the adventure game using licensed film characters, Uh-oh. Sega didn't really do too much licensed stuff at the time of Dreamcast, but afterwards they most definitely did. <laughs> and uh, you could tell that this is sort of like a uh, Peter Moore move. I don't want to say, like, blame it all on him, but, like, 
during the Dreamcast, he very much wanted to push like advertisement with like celebrities, at least for advertisement. Like uh, obviously, we had that Limp Bizkit yeah. pictures that get th- gets thrown around for the Dreamcast. Yeah, um, there was obviously events that they did, and then there was a. Uh, there was also like obviously uh, they used the NFL 2K athletes to push the Dreamcast hard too, so I mean it would make sense that that would be uh, something they would want as a game. I mean it, it worked for the Sega Genesis, uh, and it, it feels like a lot of the Dreamcast the way they were kind of ma- building it, it was like they were le- they learned from the the Sega Genesis team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so th- this next part with the development it gets a little tricky because uh saito actually was making the rounds in 2019 for the 20th anniversary doing a lot of interviews with various uh online publications which is where i got a lot of this information but i did find him kind of contradicting himself a few times so i did my best to put this in what i think is probably how things went down um Basically, he told one story where all of this stuff that I'm going to talk about kind of happens within a day, and it seems a little too convenient. And I think he was probably just trying to like make streamline the story for interviews because he's been doing so many. Oh. Um, I also found that he, in a few cases, was kind of not mentioning that Sega gave him this option to do a rare creature game, and it was more like, oh, what if we did a fish talking game we should do that for sega you know like um so just i just want to preface that that with this so uh saito took inspiration for seaman from several places uh, according to him the idea came from a childhood trip to a museum he learned about the here we go george usually we can't say the japanese names this time i can't say a fish name it's colacanth fish uh which scientists thought were long extinct but were later rediscovered. Saito wanted to replicate that feeling in the game's marketing and developed an intricate backstory involving the fictional Jean-Paul Gasset discovering the creature in 1930s Egypt. Did this backstory come through to you in the marketing in the U.S., or did you read about it in the manual? Or did you not know I about didn't it even know. I all? didn't even know about it at all. I mean, maybe this is something I should have looked okay. up, but like... That's strange. I didn't get that at all. Did you? I mean, did you get that? I mean, let's say you didn't read the manual. Did you get that when you played the game? No. I, the only thing he says is, welcome to the laboratory of Jean-Claude Gasset. Jean-Paul Gasset, you know. Um, but they never really get into Gasset. I think you can talk to Seaman about him and he might reveal a little information. But yeah, the manual is really vital for this sort of information. Um, I think... In Japan, the marketing really sold the fake history, but in America, as I laid out at the beginning, they did not do that at all. They just kind of did a crazy approach by just being wacky, yeah, because it's a wacky game. And, and, and I mean, this isn't the only game they did this too. Like uh, Jet Set Radio, like we talked about, they just went like super Japanese and strange. So, like, I guess this is this is a strategy for Sega at the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it was all. It's not vital, but there are some weird things. Like, for example, uh, Jean-Paul, his face looks like Seaman's face. So you're like, what's going on here? And if he discovered the creature in 1930s Egypt, like, what? why is he in Egypt? Why does Seaman look like 
either a Japanese guy or a white guy. You know, he he does not look like Egyptian at all. And why does it look like the um, guy that like found it? Exactly. Yeah. Like, what was he doing? I don't know. Or is it like a clone or something? Like, it's weird. And <laughs> it's a little confusing too because when you when you start out the game, Jean Paul Gasset, he's not around anymore. So did he become Sea Man? You know what I mean? Like, there's all these weird things. Yeah. Um, they don't really touch on it in the game, but I think that's the, kind of the fun in it is you fill in the blanks and have your own theories about uh, the weird stuff going on in the laboratory. Um, but in the real world, in uh, Saito's laboratory, uh, they had another piece of inspiration. It actually came from the studio itself, Vivarium, which already had an aquarium simulator in development. And so he didn't want to throw away the time they spent, so they decided to use the aquarium as a part of the game. And Saito also spoke of another inspiration. Here's his quote. This crazy idea all started with a lunchtime joke. I was on a roll, and so I kept saying more stuff. I, this is my opinion. I think he's the boss, so they were all just laughing at whatever he said. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he said, I remembered a skit in a comedy show. The character looked at the screen and said, What are you looking at, you dumbass? And I started talking about a fish and being stared at at an aquarium and saying the same thing. And the fish might say, What are you looking at? Or just let me sleep. So I guess they were goofing around at lunch and like, you know, one thing led into another and they're like, what if you were talking to a fish and the fish started talking to you, man, that'd be cool. And it'd be funny. I always thought that, uh, that like he might've been like really stoned when he like wrote a lot of this, but like, I feel a lot of, a lot of Japanese developers, I feel that way, but like, who knows? Yeah. They're just like, I think wacky people. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, he also claimed to be inspired by sea monkeys, that makes sense. Uh, which you don't know are brine shrimp sold as anthropomorphic creatures of the sea. And so he combined all of these inspirations and he also drew sea man <laughs> and showed his wife and she hated it. So he knew, but then she later said, huh? He knew he was on the right path when she said that, right? Well, exactly. That's the funny thing. She hated it. But then she later said to him, you have to do that, she said. And he said, but you said you hated it. And she said, yes, but I can't stop thinking about it. That's good. I mean, really? Like, it was one. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Once you see it, you're like, what the hell is this? Maybe that's why it's gotten so more more popular over time than it was when it released. Here in America, at least. Well, I mean, you think about it. So... Okay, so this back and forth, I think, nails why Seaman is so fascinating. It's grotesque, but you can't look away. And I think, well, the game itself is successful. It is a, a properly functioning, interesting, fun game. I think Seaman's design itself is so bizarre that you can't look away. It's kind of like the blobfish. You know the blobfish? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... Oh, it's gone? Yeah. Well, you see a weird-looking animal, and you're going to replay the video again and again. You're like, what the hell? I agree. What is that? You know, like a spider that has, like, any kind of crazy spider video. Right. You know, you're like, what is going on there? I have to rewatch that. Or like, And that's this. Or, like, these deep-sea fish. You're like, oh, those things are ugly. I got to go look at videos of it. Like, Exactly. And, exactly. and every time you go to the beach, it's always in the back of your head. Dude, one of those things could be... No, I mean, it won't be in the beach, but still, you know, you never know. You always think about creatures like semen. 
uh, going under your toes. But um, the look of the creature, I mean, we talked about this before we recorded the podcast, but I don't know. The face is so weird. Like, I would look at it one time and I'd be like, it looks like this person. I was 100% certain that it's like, mm-hmm. it's based on this person. And then you look at it again, I'm like, wait, is it Asian? And then you look at it again, nah, it's a white person. And it's like, no, it's not. And uh, there yeah. there was even like a uh, drink, I, we said this before, but like a Dreamcast Magazine uh, article about how it's supposed to be Eminem. I literally believe that, even though it was a joke, that they, yeah. they got Eminem as the guy to do the fish face. And I'm like, oh, it looks like... Well, a- it's definitely, yeah, it, it's definitely a face that looks like it was used by someone like on staff or something because it's so unique it's so normal but not normal you know what i mean like it doesn't look like anyone really spent time designing the perfect looking face like as a character design it it really looks like just a boring chubby man's face exactly (laughs) pretty much tony soprano you know like yeah, he does have a little bit of a... But I think that's that's what works, is he's kind of squinty, his mouth's kind of like... Mm. And so he does he does look a little... Uh, like a little jerk, <laughs> more or less. Um, and uh, Yut Saito said, If you succeed in making someone have hate for something, the more your mind becomes preoccupied, it, pre- preoccupied with it. Maybe this kind of creepy, creepy game could make people get interested in it. And I think he was, uh, I think he was on the right track because I have not heard anyone I hear who, I haven't heard anyone who hates the game. I hear people go, oh, I hate Seaman. And I'm like, why do you hate him? He's creepy. And I'm like, well, he's a character though. You know, like he's not real. And uh, I think even the developers, like, him as a director yeah. or whatever i think this is still his most popular game like out of all the games he's created and he's made other games i mean we could talk about sims towers but like do you think people still bring up sim towers as much as they would bring up seaman like we we talked about how oh, no. angry video game you know like he doesn't do an episode on sims towers there's nothing strange about sims towers it's just a normal sims game that was it came out in the 90s in a franchise with a bunch of other games this is way unique right. and memorable, I guess. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you've been bringing up AVGN a few times, as I call it. Um, and it's, the thing is, it's, it's, it's not a bad game. It's more of a funny, it's a funny game to see people interact with. So I think people wanted James to do that video because they wanted to see him interact with Seaman. Just like how uh, Classic Game Room did that a few times they did a few seaman videos and those are always my favorite episodes too it's it's like seaman's the special guest star and you get to see your favorite youtuber like react to him and him react back um you know like a conversation might be george how is your father doing good when is his birthday yesterday oh did you get him anything no? Oh, well, I'm sure he was happy to see you. You know, like, that's that's a typical Seaman conversation right there. That's true, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so uh, Seaman was intended to look right at the user as they interacted, making it seem like he is looking right into their own home. Saito's loyal team believed in the project so strongly that they quit their jobs to work on the game full time. 
and Saito wrote all the game's dialogue to have consistency in the responses and questions. This consistency carried over to the Western translation, giving Seaman a very unique personality. In 2019, Saito had this to say about the English version. I asked SAG of America to handle almost all of the localization for the English version of Seaman. The reason for this is that there is a stark cultural difference between different countries, and when someone in Japan asks you what your blood type is, it's the equivalent of asking someone what their zodiac sign is. So translation alone wouldn't have been enough to develop an English version of Seaman. You needed to pretty much rewrite the script for it to work. Sega of America knew a third party that was very skilled at rewriting scripts, so they focused on what allowed our team to focus on... They focused on that, which allowed our team to focus on building out the core system and game without limitations. So, let's talk about Seaman as if he's a real person. All right, good. What is your first, what is your first impression of Seaman? At first, I was like, this game is really boring because, like... When I was a kid, like, I mean, this is when I was like, you know, 12, 13. I was like, no patience. So to me, it was like, yeah. say something, idiot. Say something funny. Oh, this piece yeah. of shit, insane. And then you know, move on to my next game that I would play. Like, uh, mm-hmm. So I'd be like, oh, I just play Jetsu Radio and I'll be entertained like that. So I think okay. it took me a while to appreciate him. Uh, he's an asshole, basically. Um sarcastic i guess would you be friends with him <laughs> i have no friend no um well you've got some you have some friends who are assholes right of course yeah of course yeah of course i'd be so you'd I'll be, be friends would, with you'd a be fish friends man. with yeah, i think right yeah he, i mean he just means like a good like wingman you know you take him to the bar well how, asking all the how girls, do you think oh, how old do you think he is? <laughs> how do you think how, how do you think seaman could improve as a fish person, like what areas of improvement well, are compassion, there? Compassion. Um, I don't know. He could mm-hmm. appreciate me more as a person. You know, I have feelings too. You know. Um, yeah. How, how would you improve him as a uh, character? Well, I think he is very caring, but it comes off as like, okay. So, for example, you might say, "Hi, Seaman." What? You know, he'd be <laughs> like that, and you go, "How was your day?" good how was yours good and then you go that's great and he'd like do this smile and you're like (laughs) is he actually telling me it's great or is he being a a dick to me and like if you were a real person i'd probably say to him look i don't know if you're being genuine or not but you kind of come off as an asshole when you give me this response because i don't know if you're being real you know (laughs) or do you actually just just, yeah and and so yeah and so but that's what i like about him so i think if i knew he was being genuine and he still acted like that i'd be friends with him because i'd be like oh it's just c-man being c-man and i'd probably laugh at him you know um and i think that's that's really one of the strengths of the game is that when you start off, you you don't get along with him or you don't like him. You get mad at him. And then you kind of have to reel yourself in and go, okay, this is a game. I, I need to simplify my answers. And so you'll do that for a while. You'll be like, do you like food? Are you tired? But then after a while, he'll swim up to you and go like, how is your mother? And you're like, oh, I guess I can ask 
more involved questions than that if he's asking me, you know, these questions that are kind of personal. And so it starts to kind of unravel, un, un, not unravel, but like unfold from there. So you kind of teach yourself to start to get a little more creative with your questions for him. And that's really like the main point of the game is testing your creativity to see what kind of questions you could mm-hmm. come up with and see if the developers thought about it. That's my favorite part of the game. I mean, if and, you even well, call the interest, it a game. The interest, yeah, and the interesting thing is too is that these conversations, uh, Saito said he always felt like people should think they're going somewhere important. And the end of the game, or at least at the end of the game, he wanted people to feel like they were actually Seaman's pet the whole time. No. And and I get that because, like I was saying, he doesn't understand really complex questions. You simplify it, but then he starts bringing the complex questions, and then you're the one looking like the dumbass. And so you become the pet, um, especially when he starts... He doesn't share so much about himself, but you'll start telling him your mom's birthday, if you know, if you're working, all of that. And um, and he'll have he'll like come back to you like weeks later and be like, how's your job? Are you still happy? You know, (laughs) Um, and it's interesting, too, because you can play Seaman at different points in your life. You could play him as a teenager and have completely different answers. Of course, as a kid, I wouldn't be saying, yeah, I'm married and I'm working. That's true. But. As an adult, I'd be like, yeah, I'm working. Or you might say, yeah, I'm dating right now or I'm divorced. You know, like you have all these problems. And I feel like the older you get, the more interesting the game gets because you have more things to unload on him and to to have Seaman react to. Um, But as far as being like his pet, did you ever get this sensation in playing the game? I mean, now that you say it, it makes sense. I mean, at the time, I never really thought about it that way. Like you said, it's one of those games where... Depending on your answers, you get different outcomes and um, mm-hmm. definitely makes sense. Like the way you said it, that like he's the one that comes up with the questions. And instead of you being the interviewer, he kind of flips the position where the fake animal is the one interviewing interviewing you. So, yeah, I guess it makes sense that way. I mean, I thought of him, I thought of him as an asshole because I thought of him as a pet. But if you think about him as the owner, I guess it kind of makes sense the way he acts, right? <laughs> yeah, you're the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the spoiled pet. Um, exactly. And it's interesting because um, in the Japanese version of the game, there were two voices you'd hear. You'd see, you'd hear Seaman himself and you'd hear the narrator. And apparently in the Japanese version, version Saito was the narrator and the voice of Seaman. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. And the reason for this was it was for ease of production and budget. And also he wanted to have a consistent uh, tone. So he thought if I'm writing all of the questions and answers, I might as well be voicing them too. Um, It was a little different though for the English version. In the English version, we had Mr. Spock himself, Leonard Nimoy cast, which was from what I heard, Yut Saito suggested it. Um, Seaman, meanwhile, was played by Jeff Kramer, not my uncle. No. I do have an yeah. uncle named Jeff Kramer. That sucks. Um, <laughs> we could put him on the uh, podcast and pretend, though. We could. We could. Um, so this guy, he's done a ton of voiceover stuff for Sega. Uh, I really feel like he was like in Sega's stable of voiceover talent. 
in the late 90s and mid to early 2000s. Um, he did E123 Omega in 2009's Mario and Sonic. He played the Owl in the Night sequel. Um, he was in several other things, and he's a member of the Upright Citizens Brigade out in L.A. So he does have uh, experience as a, um, uh, what are those called? Not comedians. Um, like improv? Improv. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's interesting because Sega has drawn from improv guys before in their voice acting. They had uh, the Whose Line Is It Anyway guys doing um, commentary on Mad World. Oh. So I have to wonder if there's like a pool out in California of improv actors who also do voice acting. It must be a thing because this guy is all over the place. And if you look at his credits, like if you ever see him, bring, bring a couple games. Cause he's been in tons of them. Um, but I, I messed, I messaged him at one point in the past and he didn't reply back. I was trying to get him to do a podcast. Maybe I'll try again someday. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so Saito said he was pleasantly surprised by English users reaction to Nimoy, not only narrating, but introducing himself as himself. And Saito believes that users liked how a real person was introducing you to a fictional character, making Seaman himself much more real and authentic. I would agree with that. Interesting. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, w- would you? How did did Nimoy himself? Did Nimoy playing as himself affect how you were introduced to Seaman? Like. When you first heard his voice, did you know who that was? No, I didn't. Because, okay, I mean, I'm, when I grew up, I, like, didn't watch Star Trek or anything like that. Like, my parents Mm -hmm. came straight from, like, Mexico. So, like, I didn't have anybody to influence my, like, TV taste. So, everything I liked, I would have to experience it at that time, you know. So, I never really saw him as a Star Trek character i i think i saw the new generation or whatever it was the one with uh the robot with the white face and uh picard um <laughs> yeah 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 uh data is that his name <laughs> that's right yeah and he's coming back soon that's good I, uh, yeah they're doing a picard thing right yeah uh-huh. so yeah i never really experienced star trek growing up with him sadly so when i play the game it didn't affect me as somebody that would have been a star trek fan and there's a ton of Star Trek fans out there, so I think it was a really good choice. Now that I'm older, I appreciate it a lot more. Um, what about you? Did mm-hmm. you know at the time? I did. I was not an avid viewer, but I knew who Leonard Nimoy was, and it was just, it was weird hearing him. Uh, I've since learned that he was very open to doing these sorts of interesting things. Uh, he's done some weird albums where he like speak talks music. It's it's not out of the ordinary now, but at the time I was like, how did they get him to do this? And it does kind of lend itself to Seaman feeling a little more real because it's like it's a celebrity introducing himself, just like you you know you watch an awards show and the host comes out and he's like, hi, I'm Leonard Nimoy and welcome to the Seaman show. You know, here he comes. Saito said that the sales figures surprised Sega so much so that not enough microphones were initially available for the game. This problem, however, was remedied with the English version as each game came with one microphone, and that same microphone was also bundled with Alien Front Online. In Japan, the Dream Eye camera came with a headset mic 
which was also compatible with Seaman. And on a personal note, the <laughs> green spongy thing that covers the mic disintegrates over time. I don't know if you have... Do you have a Dreamcast mic? Yeah, I do. Um, it's pretty... I, I just thought I, I was being rough with it. It's kind yeah. of like rips and tears, but like... I, this is something with the Dreamcast that I remember a lot of people telling me that like... It is cheaply made. Like the yeah. controllers, they feel kind of... You could tell, right, that they saved money. But mm-hmm. the Dreamcast is one of those consoles that I haven't had minor issues and even if i do i think replacing stuff is really cheap but the microphone is not one of those things so i didn't know that that's did you have problems with it yeah well i'm showing it here on the screen so the little foam ball i remember when i first got it it was it was round and kind of bright green and fluffy now it's more like a dark olive green it's got dents in it it's kind of ripped at the front and when i touch it i'm pinching it it's just coming off like dust like it's almost like not holding itself together um, but what's interesting is that I do own Alien Front Online as well, and because I already had the Seaman microphone, I never took the Alien Front Online stuff out of their packaging. Ooh. And the the uh, I have it here. I'm pinching it. I'm showing it on the camera. So this is the one that came with Alien Front Online. You can see it's a completely different green. It's like it looks like a stoplight green as opposed to like vomit and. Uh, I'm touching it. It's not falling apart. It's spongy. The only thing is it's kind of like squished because it was in the box for 20 years. But it's interesting. It must be um, sunlight, you know, that's maybe what it is that causes it to do that. So um, I'm interested in the comments below. I want to know what the status of your spongy mic is. And this will be an experiment. We'll see what's going on with them. What the hell is going on, George? You know what it is? It's a conspiracy. These damn Japanese companies are selling you crap that doesn't last. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. I need to talk to my seaman. Like, sell me a microphone that lets me have conversations with my seaman. Is that a big deal? I don't think so. I think it's just the bare basic of what we deserve. But yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that about the microphone. I don't think you need the spongy thing, I'll be honest. I think it works no. fine without it. Um, but, I mean, you don't want to pop your yeah, peas when you're talking to him. He'll go, I'm sorry, you've popped your peas. We should um, just record the whole episode on the Dreamcast microphone. Oh, man, I for, should. For like, sound quality reasons. <laughs> How good was it? Like, was it that good? I don't know if there was even an app where you could, like, hear your yes. own voice backwards. Yeah, there you was. You could. Right? Um, on the Dream Eye, you could film, record yourself, and then play it back, and you could hear yourself. Actually, if you check out the Dreamcast Junkyard YouTube channel, the Gaga Man um, did a video, and he was reviewing the Dream Eye, and he shows what the video quality is playback. So check that out. Uh, it's a cool video. It's showing off some stuff that you probably will never see uh, elsewhere. Um, I might upgrade my uh, setup to a Dream Eye and a Dream Microphone. I might too. Maybe next episode <laughs> I'll wear it. Um, <laughs> uh, seeing as speech was a huge part of the game, I set aside for this part of the show just talking about speech. So Saito spoke at length with Gama Sutra. Gama Sutra? Ooh. Yeah. About Gama hurdles Sutra? faced in the development of the converge- conversation system. So right before finalizing the game, a playtest was done with random people 
and Saito found that a lot of people asked long-winded or bizarre questions that Seaman would only respond to with, can you say that again? And in a, they held an experiment at a marketing event in an aquarium where Sega reps actually asked guests to talk to the real fish. And that problem persisted. So basically, I think what they did was they put the game next to tanks of fish and they said, talk into the microphone, but talk to these real fish and not to Seaman. I don't know why they did that. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Are you selling the game or are you selling me fish? I don't know. I think they were maybe trying to see if people were respond Because they were seeing the human face, they were thinking he was capable of more than what he was. Whereas if you're talking to like a fish, you'd probably treat it like a baby and just go, hello, what's your name? You know, things like that. But when you see Seaman, you're like... Hey, buddy, what's going on? You having a good day? You know, he'd be like, what? Um, but even though, even then the problem persister, persisted, users got annoyed and Seaman was still saying, can you say that again in a loop? So the solution was Seaman became a bit of a jerk. And so when users would ask questions that were too long, he would say, you talk too long. Or he'd ask them to talk short and simple or he won't talk to them. And if you recall, I think the English one, he'd kind of insult you. He'd be like, listen, pal. He's like, I don't know what you're trying to say, but talk slower. You know, he'd be like that. Um, yeah. And Seaman's complaining actually ended up endearing him to a lot of people. Uh, people would then learn to talk to him like a baby, almost in a condescending way, making Seaman not an imperfect AI, but just a creature who is selfish and hard to connect with. So I think that's an interesting workaround. I, I personally think it's a really brilliant way to solve that problem of the AI just not being at the level it should be at by being like, well, he, it's not that he can't understand you. It's that he doesn't like you, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. What do you, what are your thoughts on this? Um, it makes sense though, because like when I was a kid and I first, my, like when I heard about how it works and then my, uh, uh, they let me play it. Um, first thing I would do would be like, oh, um, ask like a super complicated, oh, what's the new Sega games coming out? I was hoping that it would know that or, um, just random things <coughs> that like, why Excuse would me. this, uh, creature know it? It's like, well, who's your favorite Pokemon? Why would this creature know that? Like, right. It's like a rival company. But as a kid, you don't know that. You just want to ask it what you and your friends are into. So like you said, it's totally different when you're married or something. Like if I'm an adult now, I don't think I'm going to be like, hey, uh, who's your favorite Yakuza character? Or uh, what's your favorite uh, Sega game? I'm not going to be asking that kind of stuff. Right. Because right. I know that this is a simulating game. So, But back then I was an idiot. I was a stupid kid. And now I'm a <laughs> stupid adult. But yeah. uh, what, did you, what do you think about the whole speech and how – people interacted with it. Do you think it's because of the human face, like you said? Because I do. I, I definitely do. I think people expected more from the... I think with a lot of Dreamcast games, people expected more than what they got, but they still were very happy and enjoyed it. So like with Shenmue, we really thought that everyone not only had their own schedule, but had their own life, and you could go inside the house and they would be talking to other AI, when really Say they just went behind the door and disappeared. Yeah, um, and uh, Sega, like, marketing and hype machine was, like, I don't think people understand how good Sega, like, got fanboys excited for the Dreamcast. Like, oh, for Saturn, sure. 
people were just sleeping, talking shit on the internet. Like, if you look at old posts, everybody was making fun of Sega and, and Saturn. But when right. the Dreamcast came out, there was hardcore, hardcore fans. Like, yeah. And they did a good job trying to sell this as a, uh, I guess, innovative machine that was above everything else that was ever released before this. And this is one of those things, right? Oh, absolutely. Selling a, uh, animal. And I mean, yeah, so they they definitely were overselling it, but I think in the end, people found what they enjoyed from it. I do know people that do hate the game. I think I said earlier, I've never met someone who hates Seaman, but I think that's a lie. I have met people who are like, oh, I hated that game. But I don't think they gave it, you know, the proper time, or maybe they were just at an age where it, it didn't click with them. Um, I've noticed but... this with, I noticed with this with games that don't fall into, uh, stereotypical games like um they don't fall into the idea of like an action game or a racing game or a shooting game it's a a seaman or shimu like people expect that to be an action game when it came out and they were disappointed with the first one because they had a little action and more about interacting yeah so once you take it which i don't know i think that's what makes sega sega like you think when you walk in like this is gonna be this game and then you play and you're like what the hell is that all right (laughs) <laughs> that was I didn't expect that, and I think that's part of that charm. Absolutely, um, and so since '99, and we're starting to get into the post Seaman discussion now. Um, there's been huge advancements in tech. Where oh, were yeah. Saito to make a Seaman now, he says he would move away from voice acting and scripts and have an engine that is capable of AI conversations built around conversation data and data collected from users' mobile phone use. Such technology would prove difficult, especially when dealing with a language like Japanese. However, Saito said this is a focus and interest of his. So would you Uh, like to see... What's that? I don't know if I like the idea that this dude is like creeping on my phone and he's like, oh, no. That's why I was interested to hear what you'd say. So would you you like to see a mobile version of Seaman that is AI and uses your personal data to interact? I think it's yes, right? I I think it's a big no. But like, uh, (laughs) I I, I do like, I mean, let's be honest. If they did it in a way where like, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's this big trend in Japan with horror movies about cell phones. I don't know. Like, it's always like you get a death text and you're dead the next day. It's kind of like Final Destination or whatever, mm-hmm. but with cell phones. I yeah. guess there's a lot of like, I don't know. I find it cheesy, the whole like, oh, we got to do this. I don't like the idea maybe of making it a uh, robot. Maybe if the robot is sounds human enough that's convincing, I'm okay with it. But yeah. I don't like the idea that it's like, oh, we went from giving it humanity to now in the future it's going to be a cold machine or something, you know? The yeah. Voice. So that's a concern. And I do think that if he made a game now, he would use AI algorithms, maybe mm-hmm. something with Google, maybe yeah. mass data collection without markers. I mean, I would have to know the privacy behind it before I would be okay with it. But uh, I would have to go with probably no, because I don't think people should be sharing their privacy even with a game developer. I think it's a little much. What do you think? I mean, on one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, I really want to hear Seaman talk about my text messages. Oh, yeah. Like, he'd be like, boy, your mother really sends you a lot of texts, and they're very <laughs> long-winded. Do you read them? Does she? I don't think you do, you know? <laughs> Does she, though? Yeah, well, then he'd be like, would you like me to compose the next text to your mother? Oh, I think God. that would be kind of fun, because then you go, 
I don't know, Seaman. Okay, I won't. But if you want me to, just let me know. <laughs> and you could be like, Seaman, can you send my mom a text? Sure thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like ideas like that, but I, I'm more of like, I don't know, like a game where it's Seaman, it connects to the internet, you talk to it, and it uh, instead of just like getting your personal data, maybe it mm-hmm. could look through your google history on what you're like into and like yeah. getting you bits of info and then like talk to you about them um that'd be interesting maybe something to do with online with all your friends to build a community yeah so, I, but... I was gonna say because something like i don't know if you ever played the me remember when they did the stupid little app nintendo the me verse or whatever app yeah yeah mobile? yeah and it yeah. was basically just semen questions like what's your favorite hobby and then your friends would come to your house and then they could see all your hobbies and crap I could see something like that. I mean... Yeah, that would be interesting. I I think the game would be successful if they made it clear that all the data was local and not shared privately. You know what I mean? Like, it is your private data, but your private data is just as private as it is. It's just an AI reacting to it, but it's all contained within your phone. I think if that were the case, I wouldn't have any problem with it. Because really, yeah. you know all that data is being stored on your you know, your device. It's just the differences in AI is re- reacting to it, basically. And I think it would also give it kind of that, um, I'm trying to think of a game like, um, uh, let's, let's use Animal Crossing, right? I wasn't going to use a mobile uh-huh. game, but you have to come with it every day. It's not a thing, you know? It's like Christmas, we'll have an update. It's like, and then, you know what I mean? So I could see it that way. So definitely yeah. I could see a market for this kind of thing. Well, and it's interesting because Saito actually created a similar concept. Um, I don't know when he did this, probably in the 2000s, but it was a Windows desktop spinoff called C-Mail. And the prototype, it didn't get far, but the idea was that C-Man would exist on your desktop and comment on incoming emails, your frequency in sending to certain people, and he would comment on your relationship with them. So what do you think about this concept? Like he's clippy almost or something basically right like a like a creepy uh clippy version um yeah this is what i thought of like the seaman like the initial idea would be like a desktop person that just checked out everything you were doing Mm -hmm. but since we had a dreamcast and there was no os i think he was like limited to the interaction within the game which makes sense Mm -hmm. obviously yeah Um, yeah yeah i mean it makes sense i i I could see this actually working out but I mean, would you want it to be checking out all your Windows stuff? Probably not. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how. Interesting I don't have anything. My... Yeah, I don't have anything big on my thing. So it'd just be him talking about how, like, while wow, you're emailing Sega about review copies, huh? It's yeah, like, and I think okay. that's why the mobile phone thing makes more sense now because we we have personal interactions with people on our mobile phones, not so much through email. Whereas with desktop email now, it's more like sending. Uh, proof of receipt to Best Buy or contacting Amazon. Like, it's not interesting stuff. It's not personal conversations, really, anymore. It's more just, like, flight status, you know? Everybody has a phone now, right? It's like nobody, not everybody has a computer. Right. That's weird. That still weirds me out that there are people that don't have computers. You have to have it. I mean, how are you going to type? Well, that's my thing. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um... (laughs) So after Seaman, Saito developed a Christmas version of the game with a limited edition red and green Dreamcast, which I actually touched. Yeah, I saw in person at Sega of America headquarters. I am so afraid to know what happened to that 
I hope they have it. I well, I hope they still have it because they moved. They moved, and I know certain employees. You you might be watching this. uh, Absconded with a lot of stuff. Yeah, they took a lot of stuff, and I guess it was okay. But like, I I mean, I mean, if they send me something, I would be okay with it. But if they don't, then shame on you, bastards. Yeah, exactly. there was also a PS2 sequel, which took place on land. Which a lot of people don't even know exists, by the way. Yeah, and I'll it's be honest, I don't... There's not much information on it online, like... It's just weird. It's like there's a bird, he's a bird, and there's a person... It's like an island? But the person's just like a normal caveman, I think. It doesn't yeah. have the seaman face. Seaman is on a, uh, like a seabird. It's weird. Yeah. It's very. I mean, it's a very strange sequel. It's not what you'd expect. I thought it would be like the frog character climbing climbing out onto an island, and then the game continues. But it's really not like that at all. Um, he also made the game Odama, which was yes. a pinball strategy hybrid for the GameCube, where players used voice commands to direct soldiers on a table. Have you heard about this one? Yeah, I've I've heard about this one. It's actually rare too. Um, it looks cool. I think it's a, it's not that I don't think, I, I, well I haven't seen I haven't looked up the price for it for a long time but last time I saw it it was sixty bucks but knowing mm. the way that like games increase it could, it could be one hundred and fifty who knows now um, let's check no don't don't <laughs> you're scaring me I kind of want the game I've never bought it but now you're gonna make me feel like man you should have bought it a long time ago how all much right is I'm gonna it, tell babe? you how much you're dropping on this thing how much oh it's wait it's only seven dollars oh. oh then there you go it's not even rare wow okay i thought it was rare. it's okay, 20 bucks mind. with the Fuck mic I'm, I'm buying it Fuck get it, it. jeez i mean at this we're point, sitting here talking about like the rarest game ever made and i'm like oh i'm gonna get oh. it too that looks fun um he also let me find it here he also worked on the 3ds airport luggage puzzle game called arrow porter and he made a 20 20- you didn't play that one i saw that no. it looked interesting uh, there's a 2015 app called Earthbook, and he has hinted at Seaman returning with Segabits, yes, that's us, reporting a potential 3DS port, but so far nothing has happened, and 3DS is definitely not happening now. No. Um, but if you're wondering, like, what's he up to now? Like, he must still be trying to pitch that Seaman game. To be honest, I think he moved off into a different direction. I don't think he's focused on making a Seaman game anymore because right now he's making a Seaman AI. Uh, it's said to be voice recognition software that could be licensed and used in a variety of applications. Um, and you can learn more about it at Seaman.ai, the website. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you're going to put this in your notes, but um, I don't know if you know the publisher um God, I, I, now it's escaping my name, my my uh, head. Uh, Devolver mm. Digital. Mm. Did you see that? That a long time ago they tweeted Sega. Confirmed like four years ago, they tweeted Sega and they asked them if they could make another Seaman game. Did you see yeah. that? Like, yeah. What do you I think did, about yeah. them? Like, they're a super strange company. I don't know if you've seen their like E three presentations where they like <sighs> basically make fun of the idea of E three and the uh, the community, gaming community. Like, it's uh, interesting. Yeah, I think they could be a decent fit. However, knowing Japanese companies and how they work, they don't readily hand over the rights to do that. 
I also have to wonder who owns Seaman because I mean Seaman.ai uses the Seaman logo and all that, but it's not Sega affiliated at all. And, and didn't you say that they in Japan they published it themselves, not Sega? Exactly. Or... Yeah. So I I think this is Devolver kind of making a goof because Sega doesn't own Seaman. Yeah, because like. Sega, I'm, I'm like I'm thinking right now. Like, when's the last time they used Seaman? And like, even as a joke or media or social media, or anything. Like, I've never heard them mention it. I know we in the past we got that one time. Remember when they were doing the pull for uh, Sega All Stars Racing Transformed, and they put Toe Jam and Earl as a character. Right, um, right. And everybody gave them crap about it. I remember that mistake, but never Seaman. Like, I don't no. think there's a question about that. No, so I, I think it's probably just a case of Sega not even being able to do it if they wanted to. And if they did want to, I think they'd have to get a lot of approvals from Saito, and I don't think he would approve of it. I think he'd be like, no, if anyone's going to make it, it's going to be me because it's my game. Yeah. So I mean, he's been fighting yeah. to make a new one for so long. I, I've read so many, like you said, the interviews and all that, he always talks about how he's got visions for the future of this franchise. For sure. And I think at this point, though, he's really focused on his AI software. I think he might use a Seaman maybe proof of concept to show it off. But it's really, it's kind of like his version of Japanese Siri or Japanese uh, Siri. Siri? Did I say Siri twice? Alexa, Siri, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I do know that they have those in Japan in some form. So I really I don't see. know... I guess a I licensed guess. version would work really well then because you can't license Siri, you can't license Alexa. I, yeah, I guess so. And then, I mean, if he makes his own thing, I mean, it could also be like a comedic, sarcastic thing, even though that's in only the American version, right? Like, I don't think the Japanese version of Seaman of wasn't like that, was it? Like, I'm sure he was more polite. He... Yeah, I think he was just very quick to get frustrated with your answers if you didn't ask long-winded questions, or if you did ask long-winded questions, things like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird game. This was a weird episode of Sega Talk, but it's just it's such a uh, interesting game to talk about, um, to play, and honestly, like if you haven't tried it, try it out because it's. It's hard to put into words, and it's definitely hard to get if you're watching a playthrough because you really have to experience it for yourself. And it's um, one of those few Dreamcast games that stayed exclusive, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Like, I don't see yeah. it coming out on Xbox Live Arcade or anything. That's true, future. yeah. Um, so do you have any other thoughts on Seaman before I read Saito's own thoughts on the industry and then our Patreon uh, members? No, it's just if you're going to buy it on Dreamcast, uh, hopefully you find a microphone for a well-priced. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's definitely worth picking up to keep in your collection. It's a strange game that you could pop out and show your friends. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing like it on any console, even Hey You Pikachu, even the the little like Chow simulator on, on uh, Sonic Adventure. None of that is as bizarre as Seaman at all. Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's a unique worth... game. It's it's a personal, I wouldn't say favorite, but a def, kind of like one of the defining games for the Dreamcast. It's one of the games that come to mind when I look at that little console. So let's see, in 2019 for the 20th anniversary, Saito shared his thoughts 
on the industry. So here's what he had to say. He said, recently, the game industry, especially the consumer game industry, involves projects that cost a huge amount of capital and therefore have shifted to a Hollywood movie business model where you have to place safe bets such as sequels to survive. It's probably the only way to be able to recoup such a large amount of upfront dev cost. I do hope that the equivalent of what the Blair Witch Project did for movies will happen in games. I know that Sega is a company full of people that like to do interesting things, and there are lots of new people who continue to carry that spirit on. So if another game design like Seaman comes along, I'm sure Sega would be the type of a company to try their best to make it a success. So that's that's the kind words for Sega. I think he's saying that they are still one of the few companies that would actually agree to make a game like Seaman in 2019. Um, so who knows? Know. Do you think Sega now would, like... I don't know, thinking about the releases and the type of releases they've been doing, they've been keeping it kind of safe. I'm not saying they're like 100% safe, but like yeah, Sakura Wars is always kind of weird that it's coming back like after yeah. all these years. So they are taking some risk, but a JRPG is not much of, of a risk compared to a fish simulating game with uh, celebrity voice work and like <laughs> an actual advertisement budget. I think when Sega had to stop selling consoles, they kind of thought of gaming a different way. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that's what sucks, right? You want to read some of the know. comments from our Patreons? Or you have something yeah. to say about that? No, 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 no. I want, to read, I want to read what these guys have to say. So to wrap things up on this show, we're going to read some comments from our Patreon audience. If you are a Patreon supporter at any level, you can leave your memories on the game we cover. So Jake Workala has this to say. He said, Seaman was the strangest, most unique game I have ever played when I first bought it used in 2002. Booting it up for the first time and hearing the voice of Spock explain what these weird creatures were was like a bad or maybe good acid trip. I miss the days when companies like Sega actually took a risk and put out weird niche games that had mainstream gamers scratching their heads. I agree we have, with that. Yeah, and kind of goes along with Ute. It, it goes against what Ute says, so hmm, interesting. Uh, Daniel Andres has this to say. He said, Oh my god, Seaman. What a game. It's one of my favorite Sega games of all time. I remember very early when I tried to trick the game's clock time. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. To try to bring my Fishman back to life and finding out that the game was smarter than I thought. I didn't fully understand what to do at first. But over time, I quickly did. I treated them like they were my pets. I took care of them every day ever since the summer of 2017. Until that is the end of the game when they finally get set free. I wish I, there were more games. Hmm? Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say I forgot about the clock thing too, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could So basically you could set the clock to go ahead in time, but if you abused it and went too far, he could die <laughs> and you yeah. couldn't go backwards. Um, he says here, I wish there were more games like this, much like other Sega titles, or it would at least have had a PS4 release also much like other Sega titles. I check check up on them, the Frogmen, from time to time. There's not much to interact with after you finish the game, but I'll never forget the time in 2017 when they were growing and when they gave me advice and spoke to me about my life. What other game has ever or will ever do something like that? And finally, yes, finally, we have another person. Nicholas Schaefer says, 
So I've never owned or played Seaman, but when I heard others talking about it and found out it was narrated by Leonard Nimoy, I had to find out more. So I watched the YouTube playthrough. I still don't know what I saw that day and did not sleep that night. This has to be the strangest and most Sega game I've ever seen. No other first party company would put out a game like that. Uh, no one has since. So, thank you for listening. Join us next time when we talk about something a little less weird. Probably something completely normal. But you maybe never know. So, maybe even weirder. Maybe we'll talk about Romania for, oh, <laughs> for a whole hour. <laughs> I'd be in on that. I'd be in on that. So, all right. Well, thanks for watching, listening, and we'll see you next time on Sega Talk. Bye. I have waited a thousand lifetimes for this moment. Smell that? That's freedom. Mmm, freedom. The funny thing is that it's there all the time. You don't always realize it when you're bogged down with so many other things, but you're always free as long as you're true to yourself. That's where freedom lies, within yourself. Okay, I must be off.